Who understands fully the passage we've just read? <laughs> no, wrong. <laughs> no better, no different than you guys. I just get more time to prepare. So, yeah. So for those of you who are interested, there are, of course, question sheets up the back on the right-hand side there. And obviously, we're continuing our series in uh, 1 John. And uh, for me, it's, it's been a very exciting uh, book to go through. And um, John's primary reason in providing this letter uh, is, is about our assurance of salvation. And um, we, we've learnt about that. And John says so himself. Okay, it's going to be one of those days, is it? Thank you. You did that? Okay, <laughs> sweet. So 1 John 5.13 says exactly that. Uh, you know, that he, he tells us um, that he writes that we believe, or that we who believe in Jesus, sorry, as the Son of God know that we have eternal life. And that's what he wants to emphasise to us. He wants to emphasise that this is something that we can constantly reflect on. And, and so he has encouraged us to continue to walk in the light, to realise that as we walk in the light, that light reveals our sin. And the expectation is that we return to Christ, we ask for his forgiveness, we repent of that, and we continue to walk in the light. The desire is that there be no darkness found in us whatsoever. However, and he calls us to love each other. And he says that this is a new commandment. And the reason he says this is a new commandment is not because we've never been told to love each other before, but because we have now have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he loved others. He loved the unlovable. He loved in a way which was self-sacrificing. He loved in a way which was limitless. And so he says, you go and love the same way. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that should be the desire of your heart. And in all of this, John continued to emphasise the victory that we can have as we walk in the light. And there's a call to be pressing on in our faith, to be maturing spiritually, to move from that first-time experience of confessing and knowing Jesus uh, has forgiven our sins to being those young men and women who have overcome the devil and his schemes and continuing on into faith to be mature believers, mothers and fathers who have brought others up, obeying scripture in making disciples, drawing others into the kingdom, maturing them in the faith, Mentoring the next generation of believers. And John's whole point was, regardless of the level of spiritual maturity you have, you need to continue to grow in Christ. You need to continue to press on in him. You need to continue to submit and obey him. And when we commit to abiding in Christ or walking in the light as he calls us to, We'll be able to overcome the challenges that we face. Don't hear me saying we'll overcome all those challenges. We'll continue to stumble and fall. That's the flesh. But we'll constantly turn back to Jesus. We'll constantly return to him, seeking his guidance for our lives and returning to obey him. And these challenges are covered when he warns us to not love the world. The love of the world falls into three categories. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the passage we heard read to us this morning continues to deal with the difficulties we face as Christians, as true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told we're in the end times. And every power that knows it is coming to an end will fight to cause as much damage as they can before they go.
before that final day. And that's exactly what the evil one does. And so we are called to know and hold fast to the truth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for your word. I thank you it's a living word. I thank you that it challenges, it empowers, it instructs, it guides. And Lord, that's my prayer this morning, that this word will do that for each of us, that it will transform us and guide us to a closer walk with you. So Lord, minister to each one as we have need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As John has written this letter, he's concerned because he knows there's forces out there who want to take us away from the love of the Father. There's forces out there who want us to constantly question our faith and walk, who wants to challenge those things that we believe. And when he writes this letter, he's talking about deceivers in the church who first and foremost want to put a few chinks in the church. He wants to break down that unity. He wants to draw us away from the fellowship with each other. And ultimately, as that fellowship with each other breaks down, fellowship with God will break down as well because it is him that has brought unity to the church. It is him that is calling us to be united as one. It is him that wants us to be bound together, loving and caring for each other in ways that the world will be amazed about so that when they look upon us, they will say, what is it about those people? And what does scripture tell us? When they see the way we love, they will be impacted. And so that's what we're called to. But the evil one's not going to be happy with that. He's going to come against families. He's going to come against you as a people of God. And he's going to try and break that down. And he does it in very subtle ways. These deceivers won't be blatantly obvious. They, they will just have these slight variances on God and his word. And the desire will be for us to actually love the world, those things that are against Christ, those things that are anti-Christ. And they do it in subtle ways. But the end goal is they want to hamper our spiritual maturity. They want to hamper our maturity in God. They want to hamper our intimacy with him. They want us to question whether God really cares, whether he really loves us. And all of this is happening, John says, because we're in the last hour. John wants to warn us, these are the last days, but he also wants us to be aware that we can and must develop discernment when it comes to the others, what they are saying and what is truth. And the only way to develop this is through abiding in the word of God and being attentive to Holy Spirit and his promptings upon us. John doesn't want us to be unaware. And again, here he calls us children. And when he speaks about children, that's a universal church in John's context. He's speaking about each and every one who believes. And it's a term of affection that John has for the church. He cares deeply and spiritually for these people. And he wants to raise them up to be mature followers of Christ. And he says, children, be aware. You're in the last hour. This is it. This is the final race. And I know people read this and they stumble and struggle and everything like that. We may get challenged over this because many hours have passed since John actually said this. And so the validity of what is being said is often questioned. But John uses this term exclusively, being the last hour or final hour. 
There's no one else who actually uses it like that. But the others in the New Testament call it the last days. They call it the last times. And so most agree that this is referring to the last period of human existence before Jesus returns. He could come at any time, and that's the expectation in which we should be living. And when we think of it from God's perspective in his working and what he has done, there is nothing left to do in his salvation plan than for Jesus to return. He's waiting patiently for those who will come into the kingdom. And then he'll be here. Could be now. Could be in the next hour. We don't know. There will be signs. And I'm convinced that I'm going to be raptured, perhaps, if I'm still here when Christ returns. And I'm going to be like, what about this? Oh, that's what that was. Because we're told we won't know the hour or the time when Christ returns. And we may look for signs, we may see signs, but I don't think we can know definitively when Christ will return. But from God's perspective, there is nothing else left to do before Christ comes. Sorry, there's nothing nothing left to do for our salvation uh, until Jesus returns, and that's coming. And so we've heard about the Antichrist This is one of the signs that the Antichrist will come and he'll set himself up as God. He's a powerful end time figure. He'll be a world dictator. He will be a counterfeit Christ and he will oppose everything to do with Jesus. He'll oppose his followers. But before he comes on the scene, there'll be Antichrist, Antichristians. And because they're here, we know it's the last hour. But what John has said, we're living in a time when the world is dominated by and influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. Our communities, I'm sure you'll agree, are falling into greater moral decay. Evil seems more and more prevalent. We live in difficult, troubling times. And the church is suffering too. Many so-called Christian leaders have been proven to be anything but. John has spoken of such. Remember, he said they appear to walk in the light, but they're not. They're walking in the darkness. And I'm not sure if you've heard of the latest atrocity. 700-odd ministers of the Southern Baptist Convention, the biggest evangelical church in the world, have committed and sexually abused women. And the church covered it up. Not only did they cover it up, They opposed the women and persecuted those women who were brave enough to speak up. That's the church, not the world. These guys were ministers. But we shouldn't be surprised, really, should we? We're told in 1 Timothy... Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. It's the world we live in, and I'm not justifying what's happened by this, but this is the warning we were given, and it's rampant. It's everywhere. 
And we are constantly warned in Scripture that these things will happen in the later times, in the final days, when the spirit of the Antichrist will influence men and women, even believers in the church. And John tells his readers that these men were part of the church. In Matthew 13, we're told that the weeds will grow up amongst the wheat and they're going to be here. In Matthew 7, we're told that false prophets will come as wolves in sheep's clothing. They will appear to be Christian men and women. And John says, beware, they're among you. They're amongst the believers. And they went out from us. Wow, I don't know what's happened here. <laughs> it's gone way ahead. There we go. They went out from us, but they are not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it may become plain that they are all not of us. Remember, these are people who were part of the church. They most likely had the Christian terminology correct. They looked like Christians. They spoke like Christians. They acted like Christians, but ultimately they were not. Their deeds and acts and actions proved that they weren't. They begin by subtly veering away from truth. Some may fall into immorality. Some may strive for recognition, which is that pride that we spoke about, and they want to be popular and respected. But all of them have a selfish ambition and desire, and they try to lead others to be like them. They try to get others to join them in opposing uh, what is right and true. And it's all done subtly. And that is why John is warning us. But then he reminds us, we're not on our own. We have protection as Christians, as followers. We are living difficult times. And we don't have to be ignorant, but we do have to be prepared. And John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. We're protected because we have been anointed by the Holy One. Now, when we read this and we say, well, the Holy One must be Holy Spirit because that's how we're anointed. But this isn't. The Holy One here is actually Jesus Christ. In John 6, 69, the disciples said to Jesus, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. They're speaking to Jesus. And so this is Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One. And it is he who has the authority to anoint. It is he who released Holy Spirit to us. So the anointing we receive is actually the Holy Spirit, which, gives, which is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And each and every genuine Christian has received this anointing. It's an incredible gift that is given to us. It is Holy Spirit who gives us knowledge. I want you to remember back to when Jesus was on the cross and, and when he was about to ascend and he emphasized to his disciples that he was going and he was going in order that he could provide a comforter who would come and indwell them. And I've got to be honest with you, if I was one of those disciples, I'd be saying like, hang that, I want you to stay with me, Jesus. But Jesus was not omnipresent. Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once when he was in that body. And so he was only beneficial to those who were around him. In Jesus returning to glory and giving Holy Spirit everywhere over the world receives Holy Spirit. He's a universal power we can all benefit from. And so that's why Jesus had to go and he releases Holy Spirit to us. It is something that is given when we first accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Can you understand the power in that? Can you understand the power that Holy Spirit have? He lives in you and me. He is so powerful. 
That we don't need anyone to explain to us or teach us what worldliness is. We don't need anyone to identify to us those who are the Antichrist. Because if we're abiding in Christ, dwelling in his word, he will reveal such things to us. It is Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth of Scripture to us, not just for knowledge's sake, but so we can act on those truths and not be deceived by the Antichrists or his minions, anyone who is opposed to faith. Jesus is all we need because he gives us Holy Spirit. Nothing else is required. The problem we run into is We haven't given him all of us. It's not that we haven't received enough Holy Spirit. If you want to experience a life of triumph in Christ, you have to submit yourself fully to him. I do. I have to submit myself fully to him. The good, the bad, and the incredibly ugly. He knows it all, so I don't know why we hold it back. There's nothing to be afraid of. He knows you completely. And he knows about all that bad stuff. But, but we serve this incredibly gracious God. I'm still blown away when I read Genesis and Adam and Eve. They've gone and botched up. They've taken the fruit they were told not to take. God comes down and he walks in the garden. He says, where are you? Do you really think God didn't know where they were? This is God's graciousness in allowing them to come to him. And when they speak to him, he says, did you eat of the fruit? He knew that he'd eaten of the fruit. But again, this is God's graciousness. And he does the same thing for each and every one of us. He loves us. He wants to nurture us. He's that incredible, loving, heavenly father. He comes and he calls us and he says, what have you done? He gives us opportunity again and again and again to return to him and ask for his forgiveness. You cannot out sin the blood of Jesus don't take that as a challenge but there's no sin that you've committed that he can't forgive come to him find rest find forgiveness find peace these false teachers were claiming a special anointing or a special knowledge these people are still around today claiming to have a new word from God but John says you know the truth You know the truth because Holy Spirit, who is the truth, indwells you. He teaches you all truth. You know the truth because he has taught that to you. And that is why if we abide in Christ and his word, we will know the truth and we will be able to discern what is heresy. Some of the people John is referring to went as far as denying Jesus was the son of God. They didn't believe one could be fully God and fully man. And so they spoke against that. But then John says, well, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son is the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. There is much that can be discussed and debated here, but I don't think we need to. When John speaks about the false teachers in this letter, he presents their claims. Think about what he said before. They claim to have fellowship with God in chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, They claim that they've committed no sin in chapter 1, verses 8 and 10. They live in God, they claim, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And they are in the light, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But here John states their faith or lack thereof in terms that each and every one of us can understand. They deny Jesus is the Christ. 
And as such, they're not Christians. John says they are liars because of the nature of that lie. Someone who says Jesus is not the Christ is in fact an antichrist. They're not only denying Jesus, but they're denying God the Father. Because God the Father sent Jesus. God the Father bore testimony to who Jesus is and was. God said, Jesus is my son. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so if you deny Jesus, you're denying God. God the Father. You are not saved. And on the basis of your confession, there is no way you can be saved. Just think about all those people who say they believe in God. Right here, John's saying, no, not good enough, sorry. And we know in other places of scripture, it says even the hordes of hell believe in God, but they're not saved. God's plan of salvation wasn't just to believe in him. The only way to God the Father is by accepting Jesus Christ, his son, God in the flesh. No other way. John 5, 11 and 12 says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the son of life, sorry, whoever has the son of God has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And John wants to assure us too, it's clear here, but in verse 23, he finishes with the positive. Whoever confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, the son of God, will they have the father? Those who believe We are called to abide in Christ. John links the ability of being able to discern from truth from lies and false teachers from two teachers with a personal relationship with God the Father. If you confess the Son, you have the Father. And now he talks about exactly what that means. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Why is it important to remember what was in the beginning to abide in you? What was the beginning of your walk? Think about what that word abide means. It's a word we use a lot and I hope you understand it. But basically it means to remain with someone, to stay with them, to dwell with them. So if you abide with Christ, we are constantly continuing with him. And in John's terms that he's used previously in this book, that's about walking in the light. And then in context here, it's letting what we heard from the beginning abide in us. It's about remembering that first truth that you responded to. When you heard the gospel message and you believed that gospel message, you responded to it by confessing and repenting of your sin and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. John says, remember that. Remember why you responded. Remember the impact those words had upon you. Always look back to that time when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because no one can deny the truth of that experience that you had. You may stumble You may have doubts. And when you reflect on what Jesus Christ did for you in forgiving your sins, those doubts flee because no one can deny the truth of the forgiveness that you experienced. Amen? We need to dwell upon that. We need to never forget that. And if you haven't experienced that, I pray by Holy Spirit's power, you will sometime soon. It is an incredible thing to know the incredible gift of forgiveness. You responded Because you knew it was truth. That's a ministry of Holy Spirit. And by abiding in that original truth, 
you learnt to dwell in it. And as we reflect on it, we accept it again and again. And it transforms our thinking. It transforms our actions. And if you do that, John says, not only does the truth abide in you, but holding fast to that truth means that you're abiding in the Son. And not just abiding in the Son, you're also abiding in the Father. You know the Son and you know the Father. So you're abiding in them both. That's true Christian fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with the Father. When you get that, your life is truly transformed. When you come here on Sunday, your attitude is one where you want to join with other believers to praise, honour and glorify God. Well, at least I hope it is. You come with an expectation of encountering God. You want to sense his presence. You want to hear from him. And if you abide in Jesus, that should not change every day of the week. Your expectation as you come to his word should be exactly the same. You should believe that he is going to speak to you from that. You should pray with that type of expectation. You should pray to him about your day, what you're about to face, the things you're going to encounter. You should know that he's going to answer those prayers. So when you pray, you pray in expectation, knowing that he's going to do such a thing. He has heard you. And then when you move through your day, you're looking in expectation for answers to that, those prayers. Those young people that I've encouraged to pray about divine appointments, they have testified again and again that God has done crazy things to make them aware of the divine appointments around them. And all through your day, you should praise him for his incredible goodness to us. We grow spiritually more and more like Christ each and every day. When we stay connected to him, when we abide in him. But there's more. And John says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them and that he was going to come back for them and that they and he and we will go and be there for all of eternity. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you've experienced the joy of his forgiveness, your eternal life has begun. In a way, you're already there. We're just stuck in this body in the here and now. But your eternal life has begun. Is that exciting? Death becomes the veil we have to pass through in order to stand in his glory and presence. And yet death is still something that we fear a little, but not like we once did, because we have a hope of eternity. We have a hope of standing in his presence in glory. We have a hope of being like him because we will see him face to face, as scripture says. We'll be perfected. If Pastor Darrell was here, he'd possibly say it's hard to perfect his body, but we know otherwise. There'll be no more heartache, no more pain, no more suffering. And praise God, no more sin, no more temptation. Oh, I can't wait for that day. It's a gift from God. And each and every believer shares in that hope of glory, the hope of eternity. And that would have been a great place for John to finish this. That would have been a great place for him to end this. On a high like that, everyone rejoicing. But it's almost like John says, that's great, but guess what? You need to be on guard. He's called us to abide or remain in Christ. Now he reminds us, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
You know what Jesus has said to you. You know the promises that are to come. But these guys are still going to try and deceive you. Stand on those promises. And again, something that's repeated all throughout the word. And John has told us about these false teachers and how they deny Christ. And I don't know about you, but if anyone denied Jesus, I'd write them off. Anything they said about God or faith or anything like that. There's no way that I'd believe anything else they said about faith. And in my mind, it's like John is saying, that's exactly how I expected you to react, Charlie. But there's something you need to know. These guys are deceivers. It's not going to be that obvious. It's not going to be that cut and dry. Satan came to seek and destroy in the Garden of Eden, and he was subtle about it. He was able to deceive Adam and Eve as a result. And John is saying, these guys, they're the same. It isn't going to be obvious. They'll appear to be followers of Jesus. They will seem to say the right things. And often it will be like that. But they're not truly followers of Jesus. Don't listen to how they justify their godless actions. And remember, Holy Spirit abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. John is not saying you should sack the pastors. No, seriously though, John is not saying there's no need for teachers in the church. There's a great need for teachers, which is clear in other passages, particularly where the gifts are mentioned and shepherds and teachers and everything are mentioned many, many, many times. That's not what he's saying here. This is about the direction of your life and what happens when you make a genuine commitment to Jesus. This is about putting in place what he's already said about reflecting on that salvation when you first gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we reflect on that, when we understand that incredible gift of forgiveness, it turns our hearts to Jesus once more and we begin to produce fruit in keeping with that confession and that commitment to him. Those who are indwelt by Holy Spirit don't need to be taught the basic, basic truths of Christianity because Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit has revealed them to them and Holy Spirit helps them to obey. And John calls us to abide again in, in Jesus. How do we do that? We beat the same drum week in, week out. This is a call to return to the basics of faith. We need to immerse ourselves in God's word, not just read it. We need to immerse ourselves in it. We need to dwell in it. We need to wrestle with it until we hear God's voice. We are to commit to meeting physically as scripture tells us to with other Christian brothers and sisters in this place. That's your choice at the moment. You've committed to SDBC, so you meet here with Christian brothers and sisters. We are to gather for corporate prayer. No great movement of God has occurred unless it does. Our prayer meetings are still four to six people in a congregation of 540. You want God to move? Get here. Get on your knees. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only way true unity is expressed amongst us. Our passion, desire and heart to see the work of God done. We pray for revival. We pray for protection. We pray for kingdom growth. And if we're believers, according to this verse, Holy Spirit abides in us. 
But it also says, we will abide in Holy Spirit. That, my friends, is a call to obedience. Obeying all of God's word. Not just going through the motions. Not just putting on a good show. But living each and every day with and for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you're our good God. And I pray, everyone here can pray with me, thank you for saving a wretch like me. I have no idea where I'd be doing or what I'd be doing, where I'd be or what I'd be doing if it wasn't for you and your intervention in my life. Thank you. You taught me the joy of forgiveness, the joy of knowing that Jesus paid the price once and for all upon the cross. Thank you. That is something that can never be denied. I remember it. And it changed me. But thank you, that wasn't all it was about. Thank you. You call me to live for you and you call each one of us to live for you, Lord. And I pray that will be our desire this week. And Lord, I pray for each of us that we'll get back to the basics of faith where we'll just have a hunger and passion to read your word. We'll have a desire to pray with brothers and sisters in Christ that we will come together to praise, honour and glorify your name because of your presence with us in the good times and the bad times, Lord, where we cannot deny that you've loved us even when we're unlovable. So, Father... I pray for each of us who go with us and before us. I pray that your name will be proclaimed in our very lives. I pray that we will transform what we read into action that will draw others into the kingdom. Draw us to you, I pray, Lord, this week. Bless us, remind us to abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless one and all. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you to those of you online. Uh, don't forget the World Focus team has a number of things out the front there. Please stay, have a cup of tea, coffee, whatever. Buy your tickets for the bush dance and pick up a question sheet if you would like. That's up just behind the bush dance desk there. Thank you.